Well, good morning. Last week, uh, my mom came up to me after it was announced that I would be speaking uh, the, the week to follow. She says to me, wouldn't it be cool if Lauren would open with a song for you? And I said, uh, yeah, that would be pretty awesome. And she said, okay, good, because I already asked her, so now you should have five minutes less, less to worry about. And so I do appreciate that both my mamas are looking out for me. Um, but me and Robert were talking a couple weeks ago, and uh, one of the questions Robert asked me was when uh, Memorial Day was. And I told him, well, I'm speaking on the 25th, so Memorial Day uh, must be on the 26th. And Robert started laughing, and he said to me, so the first time you ever take a full message is the Sunday immediately following the spring conference. Basically, every young man's fear. And um, I, thought, I thought about that to myself, and I said, there's no way I'm speaking, or that they would ask me to speak right after the conference. And then I realized they asked me to speak right after the conference. And so I do hope that no one came here this morning hoping to hear Larry Price or Joe McHale, because uh, you're about a week too late, and uh, I'm not Joe McHale or Larry Price, but... Um, Hopefully we can get through this together. Uh, something that the Lord has laid on my heart uh, since probably about February is repentance. And um, perhaps there, there, were many, there were many reasons why I believe the Lord laid this on my heart. Perhaps it was uh, a need of repentance in my life. Uh, but also if you were to trace back and look at many of the messages we've heard in the past couple of years, uh, so many messages have involved repentance. Uh, we think of the messages we've heard on revival, something that we've been praying for for years. Um, and if you were to do a study on revival, you see that something that is almost always paired with uh, revival is repentance. And interestingly enough, repentance is also something that you don't really see much in the church today. And so um, my goal this morning is to not make us all walk out of here feeling like sinners, but my goal this morning is to, ha to have us take a step back to really look at our lives and see if there's a need for repentance in our life. And we're going to be spending actually all of our time uh, together this morning in the Old Testament. So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 24, we're actually going to be uh, focusing a lot on the book of Ezekiel and one chapter in Ezekiel, uh, but just for a little foundation in Exodus chapter 24. And we'll be starting with verse 1. This is what many uh, commentators and many other people refer to as one of the biggest mistakes that Israel has ever made, or perhaps one of the root of all their mistakes that they've made. But in Exodus chapter 24, starting with verse 1, and it says, And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come up near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and, and, and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. Uh, this is uh, shortly after the Lord had already given them the Ten Commandments. He had already laid out many other commandments other than that. And here we see a covenant made between God and the people. Um, turn over to Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, Leviticus chapter 26, it will go into more uh, further detail of what um, the covenant um, consisted of. But we see that they came to agreement. They said, all the things that the Lord has laid before us, we shall obey. Um, and, and here we see, we see the Lord promise blessings upon the children of Israel if they were to obey. But in Leviticus chapter 26, and we'll be reading 
We'll be reading a lot of verses here this morning, uh, just so you know, but we'll be reading verses 1 through 13 for now. It says, You shall make uh, you no idols nor graven image, um, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield her fruit. And your threshing shall reach, reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. And I'll give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. And you shall, and you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword, for I will, for I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And you shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and you shall be my God, and uh, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you should not um, be their bondmen, and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you upright. And so we see here that the Lord made a promise to the children of Israel that if they were to live in complete obedience to him, um, the Lord promised many blessings. Uh, to be specific, he promised uh, that the land will bring increase to them. Uh, basically, he promised to them that they wouldn't have to ever worry about rain. Anything they planted would bring forth fruit, and there would be so much abundance that really they wouldn't have to worry about a thing. Um, they'd be satisfied. He promised peace to the people. Uh, he promised victory. Uh, he promised that the Lord would multiply them. And, and finally, something that we'll actually be looking at and focusing on this morning is that he promised in verses 11 and 12 that he would set his tabernacle among his people, that he would walk among them, uh, basically that he would have fellowship with them. We see that the Lord desired to have a very personal relationship with his people, and he still desires to have that relationship with us today. Um, uh, and then if, if we'll, we'll continue reading in uh, verses 14 through 30, those were all the blessings of obedience. Here we have the cursings uh, that the Lord would bring upon them if they were to disobey. Uh, verse 14, it says, like I said, we're going to be doing a lot of reading this morning, so I do apologize. But verse 14 says, but if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes or if your soul shall abhor my judgments so that ye will not do all my commandments but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning egg that uh, shall consume the eyes and cause the sorrow of the heart, that ye shall sow your seed in vain, uh, for your enemies shall eat it. And I'll set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. Um, sorry, they, uh, they uh, sorry. Enemies, they that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee uh, when none pursueth you. But, and if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And, I'll break, the, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. And your strength shall be, shall be spent in vain, 
and your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your cattle, uh, I'm sorry, of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not uh, be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. I will bring a sword upon you and shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your, your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven and they shall not deliver you, deliver you your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat and not be satisfied. And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall you eat. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. And he actually goes on and on about all the terrible things that would come upon the children of Israel if they were to break the covenant that they agreed. Uh, here it's interesting that the children of Israel would agree to this. Um, you think of all the blessings they would get if they were to obey, and you think of all the curses that would be brought upon them if they were to disobey, and yet they thought to themselves, um, this will work. We can, we can live basically a perfect life. And we know that the law was actually created or, or set, in, set, set forth so that we, we may know that we cannot live up to God's, uh, God's perfect standards, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And in fact, if the children of Israel were able to live up to this, then there would be no need for the Lord Jesus to come down. Uh, Justin read this morning that no one can be justified by the law, but by faith alone. And so, um, but we see that the Lord desired to have a personal relationship with the Lord um, drop down to verse 40. Um, this, is, this is after the Lord has listed all these things. Actually, just really quickly, um, just in contrast between the, the, the blessings and the curses that the Lord had promised, um, if they were to disobey, he would bring upon d disease, sickness, death. Uh, they would live in constant defeat. Uh, the land would not bring its increase, not in the sense that if they planted things, it wouldn't grow. But if they planted things, their enemies would just come and take it away from them. They wouldn't be, be able to enjoy uh, the fruit of their labor. Um, and then finally, uh, the Lord said that they would be fleeing constantly. In fact, later on in the chapter, if you were to read, uh, it says that the people would hear the shaking of leaves and would run away from it. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in this time for the children of Israel, and they'd be uh, fleeing constantly. And finally, the Lord says, four different times that if the people were going to live contrary to my ways, then I would walk contrary unto them. Uh, what a scary thought that is. Um, but drop down to verse 40. Uh, once again, this is just the foundational verses that we'll have. Um, but in uh, verse 40, it says, uh, this is the uh, mercy that the Lord promises if they were to repent. Uh, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham, will I remember, 
and I will remember the land. The land also shall be left of them and shall, be enjoy, and shall enjoy her Sabbaths while she lieth desolate without them, and they shall accept of the punishment of the punishment of their iniquity, because even because of they despised my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes, and yet for all that, when they be in the land of, uh, land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly, and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt, in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. One thing that I'd like to point out to you is that the Lord in these six verses reminds them four different times that he remembers. And what, just what a beautiful thing that is. Can, can you imagine if the Lord was probably as forgetful as you and I? Uh, just living at the house, um, I, I don't have just one mother, I actually have five. And uh, I'll be sitting there, and Lacey will come up to me and say, hey, Nick, uh, can you take the trash out? I'll say, okay, yeah, you know, give me a couple minutes. I'm you know, doing this. And then two minutes later, my mom will tell me the same. And within five minutes, I would have been told by five different people to take the trash out. And you would think that that would be enough for me to remember, but oftentimes I forget even then. Uh, but we see that the Lord is a Lord that remembers and the, the Lord is a Lord that forgives. We see that no matter how far the children of Israel fell away, no matter how many times they fell away, the Lord was always there with open arms to receive them back. Uh, he would remember the covenant. And not only that, but he would restore them in a way that they were when they were living in complete obedience. Um, how easy it is for us to forgive someone, but to not forgive them completely. Uh, oftentimes when, we are, when, when someone has done something terrible to us, we might forgive them in a sense that, that uh, okay, you're forgiven and make them feel better, but really, there's really nothing restored in your fellowship. But the Lord would restore uh, them in such a way that they were completely forgiven, and the Lord would bless them again right after that. What a beautiful thing that is. Um, and also the Lord reminds them uh, two different times in this portion that he is their God. Um, if you were to read through all of the Old Testament, you see that that is a constant theme. I'm the Lord, your God. I'm for you. I'm not against you. And how often the children of Israel would forget that, and, and, and they'd often go off uh, worshiping the gods of the idols all around them. But the Lord reminds them, I am the Lord, your God, and I have a covenant with you, and I will uh, restore that unto you. Um, uh, just, just one more verse. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Once again, this is just the foundation, <laughs> the foundation that we'll be building on. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see that the Lord desired obedience from his people. Uh, but furthermore, uh, he wanted his people to obey him out of love towards him. But in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 4 and 5. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. And with all they might. And we know that the Lord Jesus was approached with this same question um, in Matthew chapter 22 when, when the scribes and Pharisees came up to him asking, What is the greatest command? And he says, That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Um, and so we see that the Lord desired his people to obey him, but furthermore, he desired his people to love him. And uh, if you love someone, you will obey them. Uh, we, we can, the Lord could have taken a different approach in the sense that he could have just listed all the terrible things that he brought up to him, and he said, 
if you don't obey me, then, then all these terrible things will happen. But he didn't do that. Uh, he gave him a choice. Um, just an example, uh, growing up, I, I've heard my parents tell me just uh, once in my life, it's one time too many, but they told me one time that they were disappointed in me, and it, and it really broke my heart. And, uh, because I really do love my parents, and because of the love that I have for them, I desire to obey them in a way that, that they would never have to be disappointed in me or, or mispleased. And so uh, uh, obedience out of love is much stronger than obedience out of fear um, in any way. If, if you were to obey someone out of fear, uh, it would just be completely different. Uh, but anyways, now we can uh, turn to Ezekiel chapter 8. This is where we'll be um, spending the rest of our time, I do believe. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 8. If you were to tell me a couple years ago that I'd be speaking on Ezekiel, I would have told you you're crazy, uh, because Ezekiel is a very intimidating book for me, and along with the whole Bible, if, if oftentimes people will look at the Bible in a whole and see 2,000 pages, and they will just be completely intimidated by it, and Ezekiel is a fairly long book. Um, there are many prophecies in it. My goal is to not give you a, a deep study on Ezekiel, I think, out of everyone uh, I'm the least qualified to do that, but uh, Ezekiel chapter 8, what we're going to be focusing on uh, mainly is the glory of the Lord, uh, the glory of the Lord. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, subject to study if you were to do it on yourself. The glory of the Lord uh, represented many things to the children of Israel. Uh, I'm only going to list two things. Uh, one thing it represented was the Lord's guidance, and, and we see that in Exodus chapter 13, as the people were walking through the wilderness, the Lord was there guiding them with the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke and so forth. So the glory of the Lord spoke to the children of Israel that the Lord was guiding them. But furthermore, it also spoke, that, spoke to them that the, that the Lord was present with them. Uh, and you see that in the Shekinah glory, which is what we'll be looking at this morning. We see that after the tabernacle was built... After it was furnished, the, the glory of the Lord came in and dwelt among them. Uh, when Solomon built the temple and dedicated it to the Lord, the Shekinah glory came and dwelt inside the temple. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, we're going to be focusing on the glory of the Lord. Could I possibly get some water? Possibly, sorry. Make sure you pray over it before you bring it back. Uh, uh, but yes, we'll be looking at um, the glory of the Lord, and we're going to try and correlate it back to us and apply it to ourselves um, very carefully. But in Ezekiel chapter 8, the, the book of Ezekiel has uh, many things in it, and it is a message of many things. Ezekiel um, was a prophet of the Lord um, sent to the people as they were under captivity in Babylon. And what we're going to be reading is actually a vision of the Lord and this vision is actually four chapters long, and my original plan was to go over all four chapters in this time, but obviously the, uh, we won't be able to do that. Um, but we'll just be looking at one. But the, the message of uh, Ezekiel, thank you very much, um, was, was a message of, of warning. Uh, he was warning the people of the coming destruction of the temple. Um, it was also a, a message of prophecy. The pro there are many prophecies in this book concerning Israel, uh, concerning the new temple that will be built. Um, uh, but mainly, I believe it was a call to repentance, and that's what we'll be focusing on this morning. The, the children of Israel were in captivity, and yet while they're still in captivity, they're, they're still living in idolatry, and they're doing all these terrible things. Um, 
But in, in, this, in this vision that we're going to see in, in chapters 8 through 11, it, it's one vision but with four different phases. And the first phase we're going to be looking at, um, the, the Lord is kind of giving them a, a backstage look at all the terrible things that the, that the children of Israel are doing. Uh, we won't be able to look into these, but in chapter 9, which is the second phase, we see that um, the Lord um, brings on judgment uh, upon some of the people, and he ends up slaughtering a couple people. Um, in chapter 10, uh, which is the third phase, we see that the, t- the glory of the Lord slowly begins to withdraw itself from the temple. And, and that is a fearful thing, and we'll, we'll be looking at that a little later. And then chapter 11, the, uh, the fourth phase of the vision, uh, we see the glory of the Lord completely leave the city. And uh, so that's what we'll be focusing on this morning. But in chapter 8, we'll be looking at the first phase. Uh, let's just read verses 1 through 4. And it says, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth, year, uh, in the fifth day of the month, As I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness is the appearance of fire, even the appearance of his loins, even downward fire, and from his loins even upward is the appearance of brightness as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by... um, took me by a lock of mine head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the vision of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate um, that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy. And this verse is key. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. So here we see that the stage is set. Uh, Ezekiel is there, he, he's at his house, and, and with him are, are the elders of uh, Judah. Uh, some people uh, are saying that um, because of the captivity that the people were under, uh, Ezekiel wasn't, uh, his ministry was kind of hindered in the sense that it was easier for all of them to come to his house or that he, he wasn't able to go into the actual city. Uh, no one really knows, that's just pure speculation, but regardless, we see him there with many other people. Um, and, and, and the Lord grabs hold of him, and he begins to talk to them. And, and, and really, he, here we get, we get to see that the Lord is kind of sh- showing an, a behind-the-scenes look at all the terrible things that the children of Israel are doing and, and the idolatry. Um, just, just a side question. If the Lord were to take you on a behind-the-scenes look at your life, what would he show you? And that's just something to think about. Would he find things in your life that he is jealous over? Would he say, listen, you know, you're spending too much time doing this. Uh, you know, I desire to have more time with you. Uh, or would he find things that, 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 that really resemble his son in the sense that if he were to look at me and say, Nick, I see this and all I see is my son. And that's just something we should desire. But anyways, um, it, what would the Lord show you in your life if he were to take you behind the scenes or, or maybe if you were to walk him behind the scenes in your life, what would you have to show him? Uh, obviously, you don't only want to show him the good, but would there be enough good in your life to show him? Uh, it's just something I thought about as I was reading this. Um, but also, one thing that you want to notice um, is, is where the Lord takes him. Um, and he says, um, let's see, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy? Uh, here we see that the Lord was very jealous because of the time His people were pouring into the gods of all the the the, the, the gods of all the cities around them. Uh, he was jealous because of what they were doing. Uh, 
It's just something we, we, I don't think we think about enough that God would be jealous over what I do with my time. Um, he desired to have a personal relationship with his people. And the question is, are we giving him uh, that, that opportunity to have a personal relationship with us? Uh, just something to think about. But here he calls it the seat of the image of jealousy. Basically, he says to Ezekiel, I'm going to show you what jealousy looks like. And he goes behind the scenes and he's going to show him all these things. Um, but a couple things for you to notice as we go on to read is that three different groups of people are, are, are mentioned. Uh, we see that uh, the elders or, or the men of the city uh, are, are going to be in the first scene. The, the second scene, we're going to see the women. And then the third scene, we're going to see the priests. Uh, just three separate groups that we will be able to look at. And also, we want to look at where they are. Uh, he's he's going to show them a behind-the-scenes look of all the idolatry that's going on. Uh, just try and notice where they are as we read. So the first, the first uh, group we're going to look at is uh, in verse, uh, drop down to verse 7. It says, um, And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole uh, in the wall. And said he unto me, Son of man, dig now into the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them 70 men of, um, 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jeazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. And so we see here the first group of people that we're looking at is the men. It depends on your translation. I looked up the word, um, but the word here used for men, uh, it didn't really suggest the word the words elders. Um, it just... Uh, but anyway, so depending on your translation, it might say that these were the 70 elders. It could be. Uh, I was kind of confused, but uh, King James puts it as the 70 men were standing there. Um, but each one of these men had incense in their hand. Now, what was incense used for? Uh, you might think in Leviticus chapter 16, on the Day of Atonement, as the high priest went into the, uh, to the temple, as he's purifying the temple, he would use the incense and put it on the mercy seat, which would protect him from the presence of the Lord so that he would not fall down dead. So in the sense, incense protected you uh, from the glory of the Lord. Uh, it is also a picture to us of, of our worship or of our prayer going up to the Lord. Uh, regardless of, of, of what they were practicing or what they're doing with this incense, we see that they were using these worship principles that the Lord had set forth for them to worship him and yet they're using it to worship with the gods all around them. Uh, just one quick note, um, in, in, each, in each phase here that we see, uh, there's going to be different gods mentioned. And if you were to look at where these gods originated, there are actually a whole bunch of different countries. This one um, was a very big practice of the Egyptians and the Babylons and the Canaanites. Uh, we see them writing, writing all these things on the wall. We know that that's a very big practice of Egyptians particularly. And we see that um, the people here are worshiping these idols on the wall. Um, anyway, so, so that was just uh, something that I found interesting. 
let's see, um, verse 12, interestingly enough, the Lord mentions that here they are worshiping uh, these people in the dark, or these, these images in the dark. Um, to me, that kind of spoke of how when we have sin in our life personally, uh, our first instance or our first reaction is to want to hide it. Uh, we, we, want, we, we, don't want it, we don't want it to come out where everyone can see it, and we kind of hide it. And, and the question, something that, that, that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how often Paul talks about in the New Testament of, of bearing one another's burdens and uh, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. Uh, there's a big sense of unity in the church uh, that Paul really desired. Uh, and that's a, that's a unity that you don't see here. Uh, and something that, that, that Justin spoke on a couple months ago is the fact that we don't spend enough time with each other to know what's going on with each other. I can tell you personally, uh, just looking at the crowd here this morning, uh, there's some here this morning, I, don't, I can't really tell you your name or uh, what you do for a living. And if I can't tell you the, those, those two simple things, uh, there's no way of me knowing what your struggles are. Um, how, your, how your life is and, and, and how I can pray for you. But we see that Paul here uh, and the Lord desired for us to be one. Uh, actually, an interesting thing is in uh, John chapter 17 when the, when the Lord is praying. We don't have to turn there. But in John chapter 17, as um, the, the Lord uh, is praying for all of his disciples, all of his believers, he prays for us something that we often marvel at. He prays for us and says, I desire them to be one as you and I are one. Uh, and if you were to think about that and think how the Lord Jesus desires us to be one as he is one in his Father, I mean, if there's one thing in this universe that uh, you cannot separate, it, it was the Father and the Son, the, the, the Godhead. Um, there, there, there was such a beautiful picture of unity that our Lord Jesus desires us to have, and, and yet... We're here struggling to remember what, what each other's names are, um, where you're going to school, what your job is, what you want to do. Uh, just something uh, that personally I, I've been thinking about lately. Um, we are quickly running out of time. Um, I was telling Scotty and Allie last night, I don't think 45 minutes is enough. A couple of years ago, I would have been, been crying about 20 minutes. You know, it sounded like two hours, but 45 minutes, my goodness. Okay. Um, but we see here uh, that, that they were doing these things in the dark because they were trying to hide it from the Lord. Um, if you were to look at some of the Greek gods and, and how, how they were treated, if someone were to speak out against, say, Zeus, and say, Zeus, what is he doing? Then perhaps Ricky would say, hey, Nick, you want to keep it down because Zeus might hear you, right? And we, at least that's what they do in Hollywood in the movies. Um, but uh, we see here that, that, that that's what they were doing. They were trying to hide things from the Lord. They had truly forgotten who uh, the Lord was and how he was omnipresent. Uh, but anyways, we need to move on quickly. But um, the next group we're going to look at is the women, uh, and that is in uh, verses 13 through 15, it says, And he said unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me into the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there was women weeping for Tammuz. Uh, then said he unto me, uh, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. Uh, Tammuz was a, a, a Sumerian god, um, Sorry, uh, he was a Sumerian god, and what 
uh, Tammuz was in charge of was he was uh, their spring god. And, and he was in charge of, of blessing all, all the seeds that were, that were uh, planted. And basically any good thing that happened in the, in the springtime was because of Tammuz, at least in the eyes of the idols. But um, as, as summer would come on, uh, they would often weep and mourn because supposedly Tammuz had died. For three seasons, he would die every year, and then he would return at the end of, at the end of winter. Uh, but anyways, we see, but he was also, interestingly enough, he was also a god of fertility. And if you were to get pregnant in this time, it was a blessing from Tammuz. If, if you were struggling to get pregnant at this time, well, obviously Tammuz is pretty angry with you. And so we see that these women here are weeping. Uh, weeping because, uh, it could be because it was the start of summer. Uh, perhaps uh, they're weeping over that, or perhaps these women were struggling to have children um, regardless. But we see here um, that, that we've moved kind of closer to the, to the temple. We see here that we moved to the door of the, the, door of the gate of the Lord's house. Uh, we're moving closer and closer to the temple. I'm sorry, there's so much that I've had. I'm just trying to figure out what's important uh, to share in the, in the short time that we have left. Um, but really quickly, we'll look at the last group, and that is in uh, verse 16. This is the priest, and it says, And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. So now we're actually in the temple. And behold, at the door of the temple of the, uh, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they worshipped the sun toward the east. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing uh, to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations with which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Moreover, will I also deal in fury. Uh, mine eye shall not spare. Another will I have pity. And, and though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Um, so here we see that these people, the, the priests, were beginning to worship the sun. Uh, not only were they worshiping the sun, but they were worshiping the sun in the very house that the one who created the sun was dwelling. And if you think about that, that is, that is uh, a very hard thing to think. Uh, here they are, they're dwelling in the house of the Lord, yet they turn their back to the Lord and are worshiping the sun. Um, and, and just, it's crazy. Um, five minutes, okay. Um, so uh, one, thing that, one thing that we want to focus on is the glory of the Lord. And uh, I was trying to figure out where the Lord wanted me to take this because there's so many ways I could have. But um, we see in, 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 in verse 4 of chapter 8 that the glory of the Lord was there. If you were to read, you guys are going to have to go home and really read this for yourself. But in chapter 9, verse 3, we see the glory of the Lord take, uh, taken out of the temple, and it is now resting above the temple. If you were to flash over to chapter 10 and verse 4, we see the glory of the Lord go from above the temple to the courtyard. And from, in chapter 11, verse 23, we see the glory of the Lord completely remove itself from the temple, completely remove itself from the city, and they would dwell on the east side of, um, uh, on the, the mountain on the east side, which interestingly, I looked that up, the east side of the mountain, or the mountain on the east, was the Mount of Olives, 
And on the foot of the Mount of Olives is a garden of Gethsemane where Jesus liked to hang out a lot as well. And so that's just something that I found very interesting. So we see the glory of the Lord resting there on the mountain of the east. Um, and so we might be asking ourselves, well, well why, 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 why do we need to know all these things? Why, why, why is Nick bringing these things up? Um, I, I, want, I wanted to bring these things up to you is because I believe we've gotten into this mindset of thinking that we are somehow untouchable uh, because the Lord Jesus has come down, died for us, taken our place, that, that now we can go live uh, in complete disobedience to the Lord. Uh, for example, uh, I've, we have a friend at work who, who actually used to work there, uh, doesn't work there anymore, but uh, one thing she posted on Facebook, uh, she's one of those people, everyone knows that, you know, will go on Facebook and just blow up about, you know, the little things, you know, why, why is this person doing this? Well, anyways... Uh, she says, why are you guys all up in my business? Jesus takes me the way I am, therefore you should do the same. And so that's just something that my generation is starting to use. They're, they're starting to use the, the excuse that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And because he died for us in the state that we are, there's no need for us to change. Um, and, and how far away from the truth that is. The fact of the matter is, is if I come to the Lord and I see how great his love is for me and that he died for me and saved me from my sin, how would I then not want to be more like him? Uh, we see that he died for us, uh, brought us back to him so that we could be like him um, and eventually we'll be like his son. Um, but anyways, uh, I wanted to ask you this morning... Um, to really look at your life and ask yourself, is there sin or is there anything in my life that is perhaps hindering um, my growth in the Lord or is perhaps hindering the, the growth of this assembly? Uh, we see that, that things were so bad in the temple that the glory of the Lord eventually left. And, and we see that in Revelation uh, chapter 3 and verse 20 and to the church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church, we see him say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in. He's on the outside looking in. Now, why is he on the outside looking in? Uh, he's not there. Um, what a scary thing it is to think of us gathering here this morning and saying, We thank you that you're present here, Lord, because we're two or more gathered in your name. There you are in the midst. And to have him not even be there. Uh, these, these people, they, they didn't care about the presence of the Lord. Um, and we see that the glory of the Lord eventually left. Uh, uh, just one more thing I'd like to read in closing. Okay, we actually won't read that, but something I'm actually uh, <laughs> trying to think about what's important. But um, yesterday, uh, I had one of my sister's friends who was getting married, uh, one of my sister's best friends, Talia, and uh, Chelsea was the maid of honor, and so Talia was there and she was uh, getting ready for her wedding. And it, most people would think that would be a terrible thing, right? Women getting ready for, for the big day, and there Nick is, poor guy, right? Well, well, there's Talia, and she's there doing her makeup. And I think she woke up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, I, I get there at, at 11.30, and she's still there doing her makeup. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> what you women do, but um, <laughs> she's there. She's there doing her makeup, and as she's bringing the brush up to her face, she noticed her hand shaking, and she says, oh my gosh, my hand is shaking, and she said, but I'm not nervous. I'm just excited, and, and, and I just thought about that, and I thought, 
man, if we were that excited to see our bridegroom uh, return for us in glory, then we wouldn't really be living our lives the way we do. And I think that's a problem we have in the church where uh, we really don't even think about that day. We're really just living our life day to day, but really um, we should be looking forward to that day every day. And so are, are, are we looking forward to the day when, when, when Christ returns? And are we allowing it to affect our lives in the sense that we're living complete, holy lives for him? And so that's just something that I, I know is kind of all over the place. I do apologize. Um, but, but hopefully we'll be able to walk out of here having looked at our lives and having seen how serious our sin is. And, 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 and uh, we might be able to walk out of here repenting of our sin, that we may only be, um, become closer to the Lord. Uh, so with that, we'll just uh, close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we would, we would thank you, Father, for uh, this time you've allowed us to come together, Father. We, we do thank you, Father, for your word and all that we can learn from it. Uh, Father, what a terrible thing we saw in your people, Father, is uh, the idolatry that they were committing in the very temple of the Lord. And Father, we, we, we see that that, that, that that idolatry only drove you away. Uh, Father, we would confess that in our lives, perhaps we have uh, mere images of idolatry in our, in our own lives. Father, things that we things that we pour our lives into, things that don't matter. Uh, Father, we, often, we know that we often worship the things that don't matter when really we should be worshiping you. And so, Father, we would ask that as we walk out of here this morning, Father, that, um, Father, that we would truly take a second look at our lives. Father, we know that you desire us to be a pure bride. Uh, Father, how often we, we, we give ourselves away to the things of this world and how often the things of this world creep in to, to the assembly and to our lives as, as idolatry creeped into the lives of the people of Israel. Father, we would ask that we will be able to repent. Father, we ask that we will no longer keep our sin in the dark, but, Father, that we will bring it to the light. Father, that, that it may be dealt with. And so, Father, we would commit the rest of the day to you. Father, we would ask for a special blessing on it. And once again, Father, I do thank you for the opportunity you've given me personally uh, to speak to your people. I would ask, Father, that no word was spoken here of myself, but, Father, that it was completely of your Son and your Spirit. And so, Father, we just ask, Lord, that uh, you'll just be with us throughout the rest of the day and uh, just be with us throughout the rest of the weekend. Father, we ask this in your Son's name. Amen.